0: Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy. And uh, here with uh, my very brilliant, insightful, and unbiased co-hosts from TechCrunch, Kirsten Korosek. Hello, Kirsten. Hello. And then Ed Niedermeyer. Hi, Alex.
1: I like that intro.
0: Very insightful Alex. Well, uh, This week we have uh, someone who's awesome. Uh, David Zipper, who is with the German Marshall Fund. He writes uh, an occasional column for CityLab and is one of the most insightful and brilliant thinkers and writers in the space, uh, doing work that uh, should be done by full-time journalists, but in an era where they're underpaid and unappreciated, it must be done by someone who makes their living a different way. Is that an accurate introduction, David?
2: I'll take it. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here.
1: Well, why should we have David on? Uh, because he's going to talk
0: about MVF. Um, um, also known as the mobility data standard and some ongoing lawsuits and political issues around it. This is one of the most important things going on in transportation today. And I'm really proud that the Autonicast, um exists so we can discuss this in a serious way.
3: Yeah. Just before we, before we dive into it, um, I'm just, we, we've had, uh, so as, as David's going to explain for us in a second here, we, uh, you know, MDS is this data standard that, that started in Los Angeles, but um It it was founded by uh, or created by Salida Reynolds, who has been on the podcast before, not to discuss MDS specifically, but to kind of talk about data and cities uh, more generally. So with that, David, when was the the first time that that you heard about MDS or became aware of it? Sure.
2: Um, It's actually a a funny story. It was back in January uh, of this year, 2019, when I was at an event called, uh, uh, transportation camp here in DC. You ever heard of that? Any of you
1: do you roast marshmallows at night? And
2: it kind of sounds like that, right? Like you, you write letters longhand to your
1: parents, a little bit,
2: um, and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that actually sort of starts to, uh, to tie in a little bit, but the history of transportation camp goes back, gosh, probably about 10 years, I think, give or take, um, but it was, it was born in Washington, DC, which is where I am based and, and where the sessions that I attended in January. And it was, it was an a event that w- t- would take place in January just before a huge transportation planning gathering with tens of thousands of people called the Transportation Research Board Annual Meeting. And there's lots of old professor, professional types that come out for that. And a lot of younger uh, transportation planners and leaders. We're starting to get excited about the field. Like ten years ago, I said, "Well, we can't speak at that thing because we don't have ten years. We can work for forty years. So why don't we just get together the day before while we're in town and just talk about what we care about with the emerging technologies around urban mobility?" And first, it was like twenty people. Then it was fifty. Then it was a hundred. And then uh, it's become a really big thing. Uh, so in January this year, it was probably I think five hundred plus attendees, including uh, rep, very senior people at Uber. And jump and bird and and swiftly and lots of city officials and city planners and a lot of like grad students too. So it's just that it's not meant to really have uh, journalists there. Um, it's meant to be just a chance to sort of be candid and and talk about whatever the heck it is that you actually want to talk about. Um, and so, like for example, Andrew Salzberg from Uber did a session about ride hails' impact on congestion. And everybody just sort of threw rocks at him for, for an hour, uh, which was, you know, to his credit. I kind of respected him for doing it.
1: But here's the... Here's this is like an aside, but I will say this makes our job as reporters so much harder when we can't get this kind of good transparent information, which I know isn't like super great for companies. But it sure would make things... Probably avoid lots of problems down the line for so many of these companies if they treated these unconferences the same way as they treated conferences. But anyway, I, I digress. Please continue the story. <laughs>
2: no, I mean Kirsten. That's part of why people like me and and some like you know like you know sixty year old transportation professionals say it's the most fun they have all year to just see, hear people be very blunt about the issues that they're worried about and thinking about. So somebody at a transportation camp organized a session talking about mobility data, which is a topic that I've written about in CityLab and a couple other places. So I was just sort of curious, and I went there. And it was probably about 50 people there, a mix of corporate people and and, uh, and city officials of various kinds. And I'm just there to listen and learn. And sort of to my surprise there ends up being a really heated argument about something that I don't really understand, where um, on one side you have... Uh, they're both people I'm friendly with. On one side, it was Ryan Ciapecki, who's the founder of Jump, now owned by Uber. And on the other side, it was um, one of the founders of a company called Remix that does transportation data analytics uh, uh, based in San Francisco, a woman named Tiffany Chu, who's one of the co-founders. And they were having a, a respectful but very like passionate argument about data with Tiffany arguing that cities need better access to data and, and Ryan saying, ah, there's privacy issues. We have to be really careful about this. And they were talking about something called the mobility data specification or MDS. And I didn't know what the heck that was, but I was curious just because they got, they're both really smart, impressive, successful people. And I want to understand what it was that they were, they were arguing about. So I sort of followed up and talked with them And I started to learn about what this thing, the mobility data specification is. Um, And that's what led to um, basically a couple months of research. As Alex was mentioning, um, I I like to, because I don't think there are that many people that understand both policy and mobility tech or can communicate it to a broader audience. So I try to sort of be strategic about the issues I want to give myself, voluntary brain damage understanding, (laughs) and then write about and, uh, and this is one of this, I felt like was really important. And I ended up writing a pretty long article in slate about it. I think it ran about a month and a half ago now. Did you try to publishing that at Forbes? Yeah. Forbes turned me down, Alex. So I had to fall back on slate. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> um, yeah.
2: life, 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 sucks. Sorry. Oh. Kirsten, you're safe.
1: Who did you talk to, to become more educated about this? I mean, did you go directly to, for example, like Slate Reynolds office, the, the, the person kind of behind MDS, which we'll get into in a moment, or did you read, reach out to others or yeah. what, how did you educate yourself about it?
2: Yeah. Well, there's almost nothing written publicly about it at that time. So I had to, to sort of reach out to some people that I knew to educate myself. So I have um, some, some friends who have been involved in this space, like Gabe Klein, who's with CityFi and formerly, he's also at Fontanelles, the venture capital group. And uh, used to be the Chicago DOT director. I chatted with him. I chatted with several friends who are city transportation officials themselves. And also started talking with some of the, the, the people who work at this sort of emerging cluster of companies that sort of interpret mobility data. So it's not just Remix, but it's also Populous. I think you've had Regina Clulo, the founder, on, on your podcast before. Uh, Ride Report, there's a couple others, and they were happy to, to sort of educate me. And then I did talk to to some city DOT directors like Salita Reynolds, who's been really at the forefront of or been or pushing the development of MDS. And I think that's actually a good place to sort of, if you you, if you want to hear sort of the story of MDS, I think it's a good place to start because Salita really has been the driving force behind it. Um, and, you know, she's very upfront about this, that she was an official in San Francisco eight or nine years ago when RideHail emerged and there was lots of, of questions about how, what kind of an impact RideHale was having on the city, which I can personally identify with because I was in the mayor's office in D.C. when RideHail emerged here. And Salida was frustrated she couldn't get access to the data to figure out what the impacts were. And when she became the, the general manager at Los Angeles DOT, which was, what, a couple of years ago now, I guess, um, she made it a big priority to say, I want to make sure that that'll never happen again, that my city won't get rolled and the cities in general, when there's a new technology that comes along using the right of way, will get good data for it. So that, that was like a, so that, that, that sort of process to develop what led to MDS began at this point, gosh, like, I think like, like, uh, like well over a year ago, like a year and a half ago. Um, And she started working with a guy who I think you know, Alex, you know, know John Ellis,
1: right? Yes, we we all do. do. (laughs) We all know John. Who
2: doesn't know John? Everyone knows John. Everyone knows John. So, so, so we started working with John Ellis from Ellis and Associates to, to actually develop a sort of tech standard to, that would be able to help cities manage whatever technologies might come along, whether it's. It's some sort of shared mobility or it's AVs or it's drones, what have you. And then, um, as we all know, scooters exploded in Santa Monica is where they first launched, right? And I guess it was now a year and a half ago. It
0: literally exploded.
2: Right. Yeah, well, they did. That happens too. Good point. Um, But it was obvious that scooters were going to come to LA. They were already coming to other cities. And that's when this is now about one year ago from now, like May of last year, when MDS development went into overdrive to give LA a tool to manage these scooters, so that it could be a sort of structured rollout, uh, and 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 so what MDS actually is is it, it's a data specification that has been developed over the last you know like twelve to eighteen months on GitHub, which is pretty interesting. That's not normally where you see new uh, urban mobility tools created. But it's a way of sharing data back and forth between into, between a vehicle and a city. So there's two APIs on MDS. One is called Provider, and one is called Agency. And to oversimplify things, what, what Provider does is it takes a variety of data, of, of, a variety of pieces of information from an individual scooter or e-bike, think of it as micromobility really, and you send it from the device to the the city. So information like how charged it is, uh, is it in motion, is it not, is it being rebalanced, like moved from one area to another. Uh, but then uh, it's also providing real-time information about movement. So every few seconds sending a ping, either from the, the and sometimes it's, it comes from the device, sometimes it actually comes from the user's phone uh, when they've got like Lime or, or Bird app open. Uh, And then that is, so so actually it allows for a city to track the movement of a, uh, of a device. Now it's not collecting information about the individual. It doesn't know that, at least not directly, that it's, it's John Doe who's on that scooter. There's not a a numerical identifier either, uh, but we'll come back to that. That gets controversial. So that's the data flow going from the devices to the city. And then there's also a set of data that, that, that can then flow from the city itself to the companies. So that, for example, uh, LADOT could say to to bird or jump or what have you, um, like this area over here is now blocked off. You can't lock up a scooter there because of a crime incident or because of a parade or whatever else. You could also create sort of incentives like like uh, you could tell the company, hey, we'll we'll reduce uh, your 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 fee or your tax if you rebalance scooters to have more over in this low income neighborhood. You could also instruct the the company, hey, looks like this scooter hasn't moved for two days. It seems like it could be broken. You need to have it moved, or else you're subject to a fine. So so those are sort of like two of the the those are the two main pieces of MDS, the two APIs, and. And the reason why the city like L.A. decided they, re- they really needed it, there's a couple. But one is that to keep it, it's important to keep in mind that before MDS, cities really were collecting data about micromobility through a whole mess of different standards, like Excel files and PDF. Like, it was just like a wasteland. And so this was a, a standardization to, to make sure that clean data could be collected from these companies. And by the way, also, it makes the company's lives a little bit easier if, if various cities are, are using the same standard to collect the data, which is something that they, the scooter companies in particular have really have explicitly said they really appreciate. Um, so that, so that's, an, that's an important piece. But there's all kinds of policy questions that a city can answer by collecting this level of data from micromobility companies. Like you can understand, for example, hey, I've got a, a bike lane that is one that is on this, this street, but it seems like people are using a scooter one block over. Why is that? You know, what's going on with that? Um, you can get a sense of, uh, of, of usage rates in all kinds of different ways and speeds and understanding whether there's an issue with scooters going much, much faster in a certain street than you expected or slower, uh, things like that, which, which could be very powerful and cities have never had that ability to do before. I'll pause, by the way, I'll just pause here. Do you want me to? I can keep going in detail on this. Do you want me to talk about the controversies?
0: I'd like you to pause right now and tell us is this a good
2: thing? Or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> forget
3: the nuance.
1: Yeah, forget the nuance. Black and white only, please.
2: Yeah, sorry, I realized I was starting to wonk out maybe even too much for you guys who are total transportation.
1: You can never wonk out enough for us.
2: <laughs> Companies parachute in, don't talk to cities, don't
0: share. Yeah. Do it their way. Yeah. What does Uber want? They want a monopoly, they don't they want everyone else to drop dead. And <laughs> we know from news reports that they are aware that that they increase traffic and it's bad. So what am I missing?
1: Thank you for that nuanced, intelligent, thoughtful statement.
0: I'm not saying that's true. I'm suggesting that some say.
1: Here, I think maybe this might be a better question. Is is there any validity to some of the concerns about MDS? Because on the one hand, it's very easy to look at this as – Clearly, um, the resistance to it is private enterprise, but there have been other uh, privacy advocates who have raised concerns. And is there any legitimacy to those complaints? Are there any concerns to really think about here?
2: So the short answer is yes. I think there are real issues that are worth thinking about. Um, But one point I think is important to keep in context is, you know, I I haven't yet explained just how controversial MDS has become And I think one of the reasons it's become so fiery, Kirsten, is because it's not just an LA-specific issue anymore. You have cities from Seattle to Providence to Louisville to Austin that are all using this as a standard for managing micromobility. Do we know how many cities are using MDS at this point? It keeps changing so quickly that getting updated information on that, I think probably Remix would know, but I don't know exactly. But it's, it's over a dozen, and I think it's probably growing right now, Ed, because... It's, it's at this point in the spring, as the weather's getting better, that many cities are now creating their own scooter policies. I was just with a city yesterday that's like, oh, now we should probably go forward and do this. And put it this way, I don't know what the alternative is to MDS that's catching on. Everybody who wants a standard seems to be embracing MDS because it's, it's the one out there that everybody else is using. And that's, I think, why the groups that have raised their arm and waved it loudly, raising flags about, about MDS... Are concerned is because it's not just LA; it's it's almost like every American city, uh, or it could become that way. Let's put it that way.
1: Real quick, um, are there any other similar approaches that might not be MDS specifically, but yeah. maybe mirrors to that that are also being adopted?
2: Uh, so there's there's sort of tweaks to the idea, uh, and this gets into the question you just asked earlier, Kirsten, that I didn't answer, which is the validity of the concerns. And one of the, there's a couple of big concerns around MDS that, that get raised. One is to say that uh, there's a privacy risk, bluntly, when you get individual trip data for a particular vehicle. Because there's lots of analyses, MIT just did one recently, showing how easy it is to de-anonymize data sets. So there's a concern that individuals could be identified even from uh, the, the, these sort of de-anonymized data sets that the city would be collecting if somebody could get their hand on it. Uh, in fact, there's I think there's, uh, there's a couple cities. One of them is Louisville. I know there's another as well, that actually cre- create sort of aggregated data from MDS and make it available publicly now. Uh, and one sort of watchdog was able to collect data through that feed the city makes available of MDS data and be able to de-anonymize particular trips from a, an individual high school to a Planned
1: Parenthood, yeah,
2: you know? and and this kind of so that was deeply worrisome,
3: right? And 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 so the, the issue here, though, is right. It's that it's that location data is kind of fundamentally like impossible to fully anonymize, right? Because if you know, even if you're only being identified by a, a random you know n- number or whatever um, that says nothing about who you are personally, uh, you know, if if you're you know, seen using a scooter. If that number is seen using a scooter, you know, near your home or to go from like you know, near home to near your your work every day, right? right? Like people can right. narrow that down. Is that kind of the core issue yeah. here?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, one of the exam, the nightmare scenarios that gets cited by uh, sort of sort of s- skeptics or critics of how MBS is, is being used, at least in L.A., is to give the example of uh, say a um, a protest group that is getting ready before a big rally. Uh, to, to make plans and they gather at somebody's house to talk about what they're going to do, maybe with civil disobedience. And then afterwards they all go home and some of them ride scooters to go home. And then the police wants to find out what happened. So they go over to DOT and say, Hey, can you, uh, can you give us some information there about, about those scooter trips from, from that general vicinity where that house was at such and such a time, huge issue right there. Um, so there's, there, there's a number of concerns that have been raised along these lines. And there is, to get back, Kirsten, to your, to your question of what the alternative might be. So one of the sort of thoughtful alternatives that's been put forth and hasn't yet really been adopted yet that I've seen, although I think cities like San Jose are looking into it, is, is to basically say, okay, maybe we don't need individual trip data, but perhaps we can sort of thoughtfully aggregate data for sort of components of a trip. That allows us to basically say, okay, for you know, on this block we had like five scooters that were that, that were on this particular block as part of an overall journey, and we can sort of take that information and then use it in a thoughtfully aggregated way to still answer every policy question that a city has. Uh, it's just now we're not providing individual trip information that seems to be much more risky from a privacy perspective.
0: To be serious, Uber, Lyft, Jump, Lime—all these companies have all this data on us anyway, <laughs> and they're selling it. They have no principles. Am I wrong? <laughs> nope. Go on. <laughs> so if the assumption is that we have no privacy and anyone who can gather data about us will, I, I imagine that private enterprises like jump Uber, whomever, that they're going to be a lot better and more aggressive at exploiting our data than the city of LA ever will. And the city of LA aren't they not committed to anonymizing the data and only gathering, I guess, clusters of anonymized data, which is much less threatening to me than what LIME is gathering?
2: What do you mean by clusters of anonymized data? And so if I, if, they,
0: if the city of LA sees a cluster of scooters over here on the corner, and the, and I don't know, LIME sees uh, the names of the people clustered in that corner, is that that's a very different scenario.
2: Right, LIME is going to know the individual identity of the people right away, and L.A. is not. L.A. doesn't want to know that explicitly. So you're right on that.
0: Can L.A. even support? Can they, I mean, and the city of L.A. can't get that data because it's automatically anonymized or is go through like a secondary process to anonymize?
2: Oh, it's not. Well, MDS, the spec, doesn't collect the information about who the actual person is who's using any of those scooters. It's just it's not any part of the data feed at
3: all. So but then the, the flip side of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, so, so the private companies have a more data, more detailed data and um, non-anonymized data and, you know, the financial incentives to to sort of monetize that. But they also, you know, maybe arguably have sort of more expertise when it comes to protecting data. Is that one of the concerns here that like cities don't necessarily have the technical chops? really to like actually protect to protect this data is that one of the issues? Yeah, I mean that's that's
2: one of the arguments, Ed. I think it's a little bit BS when you think about how much extremely private data cities already control, mm-hmm. like tax records or or crime crime issues, crime data and things like that. Uh, and especially a big city like LA is going to have a lot of protections they can put in place. So I think and also keep in mind of course that Uber had that big data breach a while ago, so there's a little bit like like really, it just seems a little hollow, and and I think it's worth noting that that the mobility companies are not unanimous in their perspective on MDS, right? Like like Uber slash Jump is is vociferous in its opposition, but I talked to Lime when I was reporting the article, and and yeah, they they were pretty happy with it. They don't really have a big problem with it. And in talking to the other scooter companies that I have, or micro mobility companies. It's really Jump that stands out, Jump slash Uber, that stands out as being really opposed to, to to MDS as it's currently developed. And that, of course, begs the question of, well, maybe this is more about potential vulnerability to Uber's ride hail business than it is about actual privacy concerns for micromobility.
1: Where does Lyft fall in this? Do they have this sim- a sim- Have taken a similar stance?
2: What a great question. Um, I wish I could answer that better than I'll be able to, Kirsten, but they declined to give any response to my multiple inquiries.
0: What a coincidence.
2: Yeah, funny that. And the only evidence I have is that they have signed on to a letter supporting AB-1112, which we may get to this California law, that would, or bill rather. They
1: could crush MDS. I, yeah, I have a ton of questions about AB 1112, which is the reaction to MDS, right? So do you want uh, to talk, uh, talk to us about that? Or you were much earlier in the conversation talking about or about to get into some of the controversies around this. Um, so did you get to that point that you wanted to or did... We kind of cut you off. Probably me. Maybe Alex.
2: (laughs) No, no, it's all good. It's all good. No, I think that that, I think it's worth just noting what the controversies are around. It took me a long time to sort of understand this when I talked to dozens of people reporting the article because it is so complicated. But I think that there's this privacy issue that it is more than just Uber slash uh, jump. Uh, pointing it out, like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Center for Democracy and Technology have also raised similar privacy concerns. So I think there's something potentially real there. But I also think, and this is really interesting, I think there's a real philosophical difference in how Salita and some of the other architects in MDS are approaching data collection uh, for mobility and how uh, some privacy advocates look at it. And the difference is that Salita's attitude is, look, getting all the data... And I'll figure out what to do with it. I'll figure out what insights I can glean, just like what Uber does when it collects all its data. That's what I want. I want to be on the same footing. And if you talk to privacy advocates, their general attitude is, no, 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 no. You know, data that, that is collected and then handed over to the organization, the more data that's collected, the more it's handed around, the more risky it is. So what you need to do, L.A. or anybody else, is specify exactly what policy issues you're trying to solve and then request only the minimum amount of data you need to answer exactly those questions. And that is just not how I think Salita Reynolds and MDS's architects are thinking about it. And that's a legitimate policy debate, in my opinion. Um, so anyway, I, wanted to, I did want to mention that.
1: And an example of that would be a very specific, narrow focus would be, and one that I know that many cities are interested in, is the requirement and the understanding of how many of these micromobility um form factors whether it's a shuttle or, or a scooter or a bike make it to less affluent neighborhoods so that we can avoid these transit deserts um that's one of that that would be one example of a specific type of information that they could look for
2: Totally, and that, that there's. A lot, I think almost everyone in this debate that I've talked to agrees that cities need to have really good data, and there should, for for decisions like that on policy levels, Kirsten, and and that it needs to be standardized so that the companies don't have to create all the data and or transfer it in a different way from city one to city two to city three. Um, I think where I think though with your, your 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 scenario there, which pertained to equity. Um, I think the response of, of critics of, of these, this individual trip data component of, of MBS, they would the critics would simply say, well, look, you can answer all those policy questions equally well with thoughtfully aggregated trip data that doesn't have the privacy risk. So why can't you just do that? And I've never gotten a really clear answer. To be honest with you, this is a question I've posed to LADOT as well, why that thoughtfully aggregated trip data isn't enough.
1: Yeah. So the reaction is AB1112 or?
2: Yeah. So... So, so MDS is, is like chugging along. As of April fifteenth of this year, scooters and, and micro mobility devices you know, have to abide by MDS, including including Jump inside LA. And by the way, LA has far more micro mobility devices deployed than any city in North America. So the next uh, the next battleground now is uh, is Sacramento, um, the the state capital, where there was initially a bill AB one 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 two. Is as, as I understand it. Uh, although I haven't gotten this totally confirmed, I've under, I understand that it was initially conceived of by uh, a scooter company uh, the, as a way of, of sort of standardizing some policies like liability requirements at city levels that are very difficult for the scooter companies to manage. There's no data piece at all. But then when it went into committee work in the state assembly, suddenly a lot of that stuff that the scooter companies had put in got stripped away. And suddenly this piece that got added that said uh, no city can collect individual trip data and it has to be aggregated. And uh, you can probably guess who was probably, who was behind,
0: who was behind that.
2: And this only happened in the last three weeks. It would be impossible to guess. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really hard to believe. Um, so that sort of caught a lot of people by surprise only two weeks ago in like very early May. And it led a lot of city leaders and city advocates to push back really hard. Uh, But there's this letter of support for AB 1112 now that has like basically all the micromobility companies lying on it. And just a few days ago, it passed the assembly in a final vote of 74 to one, like a total thumping. The only dissenter was a representative from San Diego, Todd Gloria. And now it's going over to the Senate. Um, and and if it passes, it kills MBS in the state.
1: So here's my question about uh, how the, the language of the bill. So uh, um, there is a history in automotive industry in companies like GM. I'm not so much. I'm not sure about Ford, but I know the GM. Uh, I'm sure every automaker has done this, or dealerships, where they'll oftentimes through their lobbying arms actually draft a uh, proposed bill language. They'll have meetings with their state legislators and convince, um, or, you know, make the argument that this bill should be presented on their ha- behalf. So I, and you know, this is, this happens all the time. So, um, there were attempts, for example, in Michigan with in, in other states for um like the direct sales ban that's impacted Tesla. There were ones um in Michigan that directed how autonomous vehicles might be tested and seemed to benefit uh OEMs and hurt potentially tech companies like Waymo. And so do you know by any chance? how the bill language was formulated, like who were the big proponents on the assembly side? And was this a bill that was essentially drafted by Uber lobbyists and then handed over to the assembly?
2: Uh, So I don't totally know. I know that it was introduced by a woman named Laura Friedman, who's a Democratic representative of Glendale, just outside of LA. Um, And I also know that initially the bill had nothing to do with data. I think that's really important to keep in mind. So something happened Pearson in the last like 90 days to compel this assembly committee to effectively redo the bill and make it not about standardizing scooter policies, but instead be effectively just pretty clearly crushing the MDS elements around individual trip data. So I won't, yeah, that's what I know.
0: Okay. So you won't speculate because you're a nice guy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a nice guy. Let's, Let's go with that. Uh, so, so uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, though, that like there are a lot of you can do a lot of policy related stuff with aggregated trip data, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why is this such a big deal? I mean, I understand how it has impacts on the specific standard of MDS because that does collect individual trip data. But if you can do a lot of the same policy stuff with aggregated data, why is that a, a huge problem? So...
2: The MDS the backers, like like LADOT and other cities as well, really do uh, I subscribe to the idea that we need all this data to be able to do all kinds of analyses that we can't even conceive of yet. And they've been in in dialogue with Uber and Lyft and 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 John and Bird and all these guys for a long time about how MDS would be structured. And I think they're at it. And by the way, MDS as a, as a spec is up and running. So if this bill passes, I don't think I don't know how LA is going to be able to respond in time. It just sort of I don't know. I think they may just shut it. This is one very real risk. Ed is that cities currently using MDS in California, because of course the bill doesn't affect MDS use cities outside of California. Right. Um, some of the cities may say, well, we can't, we don't, we have to be able to monitor scooters and and and, and e-bikes. So if we can't use MDS the way it, it's devised we're just going to shut down the pilot programs we have completely until we figure out what else to do. Uh-huh. So it could create some real chaos is is my expectation and and I think what some other urban watchers are are worried about as well.
3: And and for the record just to to be clear about this um are the, the providers you know the whether it's Uber or or Lime or, or or any of these guys are I mean their use of data what they can and can't do with it what they have to do to protect it like none of that is regulated right
2: uh not oof. and and me not to my knowledge i'm not a, a privacy lawyer in that kind of a way but you're right they have a lot of freedom there yep. it's true
3: yeah so so they're so they're collecting more data than nds would collect and they have no regulation right and so it's just sort of this whole thing seems to some extent to be predicated on the idea that like you know like sort of what i mentioned earlier that like these are private companies and therefore you know they're just going to be better at protecting this data than cities. Is that <laughs> yeah. and and I know there's you know there's that example that you mentioned of uh, was it St. Louis where where they were releasing this data and it was used to identify people. But then again, on the other hand, like you you also mentioned the case of a data breach at Uber, right? And and data breaches happen at, at private companies all the time. So it's like totally. I don't know. It, it's a little tough to understand like where the high ground is here, or or where the sense of of having a high ground is coming from.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think a lot of the
3: city leaders I talk to are really, frankly, angry at this assumption that they can't take care of data. Uh, in,
2: in, in the, you know, they don't deserve the same data rights that a company like Jump does. That just pisses them off, yeah. to be
3: honest. So, I think- what, just to feel, like what would happen to an Uber or 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 any of these companies if you know a state legislature said. Here's what you can and can't collect data-wise, right? They would screw bloody murder. They would say this totally destroys our ability to, you know, make a viable business, right?
2: I think that is a very good question, and by the way, it's something that is entirely possible to come up yeah. uh, again, as in my view at least, being in Washington, these whole issues around like the American version of GDPR in Europe, mm-hmm. you know, giving individuals more privacy rights, could really I think are gathering steam. So it's a good question to pose, Ed.
1: Well, and then I was just going to say that it then all of a sudden becomes a much bigger issue that goes far beyond mobility. Yeah. (laughs) Because the whole basic premise of private companies collecting information and whether governments should have access to that information has been something that has been an issue for some time. And we see that with... You know, every single time, and I forget what the name of the report is called, but where Apple or Google will provide some transparency and how many times law enforcement officials have asked for specific information that they actually have access to, and then whether the decision was to hand over that data or not. Mm -hmm. And there's some very strong feelings about that. And so there is a lot of mistrust, historically speaking, about government access to this type of data and then suddenly, now as a reaction to data breaches, what we've seen happen at Facebook, now more of a reaction towards, well, wait a minute, maybe tech companies shouldn't be having this information either.
2: Yep, I think that's right. I think that's right. And there's a, and just to add a little wrinkle, Kirsten, that one thing I didn't really mention about with MDS, that I think is important to keep in mind is, you know, every time you transfer sensitive data from one entity to another, you add on risks, right? That's kind of intuitive. So with MDS, outside of a few huge cities uh, like LA, you know, you're probably gonna have very limited capacity internally to interpret big data sets like what you'd collect through MDS. So and even in LA, one of those big cities, even there, they still are turning to one of these data analytics companies like Remix or Populous to collect that data, put it into pretty, pretty sort of uh you know, images and give advice about how to about how to adjust policy based on the data that's coming in. So you're now taking all this highly sensitive data that's going from Uber and Lyft and, and Lyme and all that. It's not just going to the city. It's actually going to these third-party companies doing the, the interpretation of the data as well. And that's made some privacy advocates as well go, Rrr. now we've got a whole nother group of companies in there that we have to worry about how, how secure they are and to what extent you know, they're going to, be able to share information or otherwise if there's a warrant that's issued or something like that. So it gets very complicated very quickly.
1: What's the financial impact here? Meaning you just kind of alluded to it a little bit. I mean, there's certainly quite a bit of, of revenue to be made from third-party companies helping and assisting getting insights into this data. But beyond just that business opportunity. What about on the city side? Is there, in terms of either what they had to invest to get this type of data, so the cost to taxpayers, or do they get any financial benefit? Is there any? What's the financial stake here? So that's
2: an interesting question. In other words, could they make money off of NBS? Um, Is that what yeah, you mean? Or,
1: yeah, exactly. Or did they? Or what did they have to outlay to create this? Because either way, there's an impact. So I'm just trying to assess, like, who are the stakeholders here who have the most to lose. And why is it? Is it because a data issue? Is it a financial issue? Is it um, you know a an initial investment, which is also a financial issue, but not on the revenue side, on the outlay side?
2: Yeah. So the vast majority, as I understand it, of the cost of creating MDS, the sort of sunk cost of it, has been borne by LA DOT. I think Santa Monica and a couple other cities helped out a bit, but it's LA that's shouldered that expense. And I guess to the extent that MBS were to be declared illegal or go away, they'd be left holding the bag a bit. Um, And I will say, having talked to lots and lots of city representatives about MBS, I've never heard anyone say we want to be involved in this as a revenue opportunity. They always say we want to be part of this because we want to be able to understand how people are moving in our city on these micromobility devices and create better policy. So I would say, I think that's the motivation of the cities. Now, is there a revenue opportunity? I guess possibly. Like I, you could imagine, um, you could imagine cities with that agency API saying to um, you know they could they could create fines saying, look, if you don't rebalance in a particular way to meet our equity requirements, we're going to create such and such a, a, a penalty, financial penalty for you as a company. But to me, honestly, Kirsten, I think it's de minimis. I don't think that's really what's motivating MBS in the first place.
3: Does does any of this stuff apply to not micromobility, right? Mm-hmm. Like so like ride hailing and things like that? Um, yeah. Or is this just about micromobility?
2: It is. Right now, it is about micromobility, but very explicitly, MDS has been created to be a standard that can be applied to other modes as well. So already, you guys may know about like Lime's uh, car share service, LimePod. Anybody tried that? Uh, it's only in Seattle, right? That's right. That's right. Um, but LimePod is providing information to the city of Seattle through NDS, So that's, I think, the first car share service.
3: Right. And they're able to do that because Lime actually owns those vehicles, whereas with traditional Uber, it's hard because you can't really collect data as easily from vehicles that the company doesn't own. Am I correct in, in that?
2: Uh, well, I just don't, I, I, to be honest, I think it's more the fact that, the, the backers of MBS are just first trying to get it right for micromobility before they apply it to other modes, which they very explicitly would like to, including ride hail. And for Lime, it's probably just fairly easy because Lime is, uh, is, is primarily a company providing micromobility. They just have that, that one car share city. So, for example, I don't hear Cardigo being used, data being like from Cardigo through MBS or from Zipcar. Never heard of that yet. But in theory, it
0: could. Maybe because car, and car not service isn't that good. But yeah. that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah. Guys, I got to leave you. I'm sorry. Um, All right. Please continue to discuss social justice and the right way to enter cities with TNCs and other services without me.
2: Yeah, Alex, you've been quiet. I'm not used to this. <sighs>
0: um, it's because I, I think you represent my position uh, in a more, you know, diplomatic way. So I will let it go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <sorry, guys. laughs> Have a good week.
3: <laughs> take care alex
1: we were stealing his thunder i think a little bit too much so <laughs> yeah. he got
3: he's, a, he's a very busy man
1: he is a very busy man
3: i'm i'm curious so so you said the the california assembly passed uh, ab 1112 like almost unanimously
1: yeah
3: um do you have a sense of of whether or not the senate like there's as much support in the senate or if there might be more of a uh You know, resistance there, or like, is this is this going to happen? Basically, is is my question.
2: Um, I think that there will be more pushback now that it feels very real. AB one 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 two. Um, that said, it's it's feel it's hard for me to see a scenario where the resistance is such that it actually doesn't come to fruition. I think, I think that this this bill is a huge priority for some of the mobility companies that have signed on as supporters. And it feels likely to pass. And Ed, I think it's important to note, this is not a one-off just in California. My understanding that Illinois is considering a bill that's really similar. There's been a bunch of other, what I consider to be preemption bills uh, in other states as well. Uh, and When I say preemption, I mean, you've got state legislators that are taking away rights of policymaking that would otherwise flow to local authorities, meaning city leaders. Right. This is a this is an approach that ride-hail companies have used for a long time. Like sort of famously in Texas when Austin residents voted to kick out Uber and Lyft because they wouldn't go along with fingerprinting drivers. You remember that back in 2016. Yep. yep. And then state legislators, many of whom, of course, don't represent cities. Yep. Uh, were basically said, no, sorry, that's illegal for any city to do what Austin just did, and then Uber and Lyft came running back. So this is sort of a tried and true tactic, and it's kind of weird if you think about it, because you have these companies that primarily operate in cities and like to talk about how they partner with cities, clearly doing an end run around cities' interests to get state legislators to do what they want.
3: Yeah, well, and and one of the incentives here, too, that I think doesn't get brought up a lot, but this is something I've heard sort of more and more whispers about recently is that a lot of these companies are finding that, um, you know, they are having to spend a lot more money than they expected on government affairs workers, basically just employees in order to manage this sort of city by city paradigm. Um, And they would clearly rather sort of come up with, you know, one solution that they can kind of apply blanket, right?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's what I thought was, to be honest, kind of bullshitty uh, in in this debate on AB 1112 when the backers like Uber, Lyft, and Bird sent on to a letter saying, you know, we have to get a r- away from this patchwork of local policies. And I'm like, guys, MDS <laughs> was specifically created to standardize data collection policies, so right. I'm not buying that one. Let's put it that way.
3: Right, and and then there's sort of a, a larger philosophical question here too, which is sort of, you know, aren't cities sort of the, you know, unique eh? a, <laughs> and sort of aren't local city leaders and 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 you know regulators or officials, uh, you know, best positioned to uh, craft, lo- you know, policy for their local circumstances, right? Like, yeah. like, one size doesn't maybe necessarily fit all. When when you get beyond the data standard thing, right, when you actually start to talk about the policy, yeah, one size may not may not fit all, right.
2: I think that's that's totally right, and also Ed, I mean, you you guys know this, and I bet your listeners do too. You know, we've had micro mobility around for how long? Like, even with dockless bikes, it's been what a total of two years, two and a half years. Nobody thinks we've figured out what best practices look like from a regulatory approach at the local level, right? So why would we codify or or sort of restrict cities? Why would we codify a statewide rule and restrict cities' abilities? to experiment and see what works when we're still figuring that out. To me, it's just, it's not how we should be setting this kind of policy. And I worry about what it means for how we'll establish policy for the next new mobility technology innovation, whether it's autonomous vehicles or sidewalk drones or whatever. Yeah, it, It's really problematic. I think as an approach, this whole preemption idea.
3: And and when you start to think about this as sort of a, an experimental phase right? Like that's all the more reason that cities kind of need data, right? Because yeah. without that data, you don't know how your experiment's going. You don't know what's working and what's not. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and again, I, in my view,
2: Uber and Bird and everyone else in this space has every right to actively engage city leaders and saying, well, here, let's try this instead of that. Let's, we really would prefer this for this reason and so forth and so on. Totally agree with that. Uh, the, the, what I really worry about is is this preemption move to basically bring to state legislatures where they're usually, in many states, dominated by rural or exurban representatives that don't have many of these services in any sort of density anyway, to make decisions that that are really going to impact uh, impact city residents because that's where they, these services concentrate. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, it really hamstrings cities to have control over their and that's like gets into a much broader debate about you know what who should have power or where and who should be making decisions for their citizens. Should it come from the state level down or um, more at a local level? What do you think is the solution then to sort of cap everything off? Um, Is it, as you kind of talked about earlier, just a slight adjustment, so more of a compromise? Or is there something very specific that you've found that would be the better solution?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I actually do think critics of MDS specifically, anyway from the preemption debate, I think critics have a very reasonable point to say, look, all of us being equal, collecting less data, especially when you have privacy issues that could come into play at sensitive data, collecting less data is better than collecting more. So these, these these very creative approaches that groups like Shared Streets, if you know them, have been developing to very thoughtfully aggregate data to give a lot of insight at a, at a granular level to policymakers. I think that I'd love to see those sorts of, of, of uh, standards emerge, and that would require some tweaks to MDS as currently conceived. I think that's a process, though, and I think the way to, to sort of orchestrate that is not through state preemption bills, but through what LA has said they want to do, which is, and this has not been public in terms of where it's actually gone to date, I don't, I don't really know myself, but they talk about creating a national body to manage the, these sorts of standards and to provide technical assistance to, to cities, that, like a, a mid-sized city that has limited capacity to do so, like a El Paso or something to be able to figure out, to, to, to sort of plug and play with a, a pretty good sort of uh, MDS-based system. I think creating that kind of governance structure is great. But I worry that the state preemption efforts or preemption efforts overall are going to, to really get in the way. And one other thing that just came out two weeks ago that we haven't mentioned, actually it was only a week ago, forgive me, is that SAE just announced an effort to define micromobility devices as well as optimal ways of sharing data and jump sign on to that, <laughs> interestingly. Um, and it feels a bit like a slap in the face, as I understand it, to those who've been developing MDS. So MDS is kind of getting it from all sides, from these sort of top-down entities that are, are not empowering, in my view, cities to sort of figure out the best way of,
3: of doing this. Interesting. Um, do you know, is uh, so I think Horace you is, is on SAE's micromobility sort of Panel, is, that, is this is this his group's work? Do you know?
2: Um, I, I don't know. All I know is 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 what a few people have told me off the record about it. And then there's a press release that I would I it's on SAE's website, you can check it out. Mm-hmm. But the groups that signed on initially to this effort include Populous, one of these groups doing the data analytics tools, uh, Spin, uh, Jump, and the City of Miami, interestingly. Um, which I don't believe is an MDS city, or if it is, I've, I've
3: forgotten.
2: Huh. Um, and then we'll just sort of see what happens here. Um, it's it's very new, and I think a lot of eyes are on
3: it. Yeah. So it it sounds like I mean, there's there's a like the chances of a of a acceptable compromise on this stuff uh, anytime soon is it's just not realistic, right? I mean, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of back over this in, in a lot of different places, probably, huh?
2: Yeah. I, I don't. I see. It's a very controversial topic. And I actually think it's become so heated now that I do, I, I don't I, I wish I could see a consensus movement toward governance. And I, I I'd be lying if I told you that I, I thought that was likely to
3: happen. I mean, do do the company I mean it like I understand why why you know having put all the work into creating this standard which you now all these cities can use and blah blah blah. Like I can I can understand why, you know, um the the people backing MDS would be, would be very defensive against and and, you know they're the ones who are under attack here um it's not like it's only mds cost them any more money and and frankly what's strange to me too is you know are are they presenting an alternative to this right because like it sounds like you know you were saying before that that the the status quo before mds was like and and i've heard a little bit about this um just sometimes you know uber would would give a city yeah like an excel yeah uh, spreadsheet of like Data from you know the week before or two weeks before or whatever it was, um, and it was totally inconsistent and generally poor quality and generally not like very real time. Right. Um, is is that what they want to go back to, or is there like sort of a, a counter proposal besides this SAE one?
2: <laughs> so no, <laughs> there's not. Um, and I, I, I've asked this question of people who are supporting the bill AB1112 and other bills like it elsewhere. And, you know, their the answer is, oh, well, you know, we'll just provide aggregated data to cities and they can make insights that way. But then that begs the question of how can cities know the data is real? Because if you're a provider, like a, a, a micromobility company, you kind of have an incentive to lie with aggregated data. Because a city can't go out and sort of verify, oh, they said there was a scooter over there and there really is um, in ways like that. It, 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 you know, the scooters could basically, the, co- the companies could basically have Information that's not accurate in, uh, in in what they're sharing in an aggregated way to cities, and I worry about that. And I also worry that about how it's conveyed in an aggregated format that could be combined with other companies' data. Because you guys know about Uber Uber Movement, is that something you've seen before? Um, I've heard about it. Yeah, just give us a little background on that. Yeah, so Uber Movement is is sort of Uber's uh, data tool for cities, which provides very aggregated information about. Ride-hail vehicles going from this uh, particular uh, census tract to to over to over that one, Um, and it's pretty much useless to city officials because it can't be combined with any other uh, data set that they have, at least not easily. And it doesn't; it's not aggregated very much. So they don't; they don't know the volumes of of, of vehicles. They just know the the average trip time. And you know, I worry that uh, you don't want to be in. It's not good for cities. Not good for city residents. I think. To be in a world where companies can get away from providing data in that kind of like a, a, a in that kind of a format of really limited use, because we will end up with worse policy that way, in my view.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned earlier that cities, if they have aggregated data, then there's no way to really validate that data. Is there anything that exists that would allow some sort of validation that still meets? That um, the requirements or the desires of companies like Uber and and others of being able to identify those people of
2: ride hail I don't
1: or not identify so. but not not identify those people I shouldn't say that I, I understand that they're not identifiable but but somewhere where aggregated data could work but it could be validated in a way that cities would be able to. Check up and make sure that they're getting the correct data. Like, is there anything that exists there? That is it one or the other? Once it's aggregated, there's just no way to yeah really. So try. there's
2: root. So you're talking micro mobility or mobility with large? When you ask that, Kirsten.
1: I mean, either. I'm just curious if there's anything. I mean, I hate to bring up the like, things like blockchain or anything like that, but is there a way to keep something? um, guarantee that something's anonymized in a way that would make Uber comfortable, but be v- valid valuable and validatable on the city side.
2: Yeah. So I, my understanding is a, a company called cord. You might know them. Stephen Smith is the CEO. Yeah. They developed a tool.
1: They're out of sidewalk labs. Yeah.
2: They spun out. That's right. That he's developed a tool to, to help with that on the micro mobility side. Um, with, with that, with that enables validation. On the the ride hill side, no, not to my knowledge. I do know that a company called or a non I should say, called Shared Streets, which is pretty interesting in that these sorts of mobility data discussions is working on a tool like that that would enable validation. Uh, but I don't think that there's any sort of a accepted tool that cities can turn to now. It's a big need. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And so we're left with a political fight at this point.
2: At this point, it is certainly a political fight, um, which is unfortunate because I think there's real policy issues at play, and I have relatively low confidence now. Not to be a downer, but I have relatively low confidence that what ultimately happens with with these debates is going to be determined by what will lead to the best policy outcomes. It feels like it's now becoming a political power fight with, particularly Uber, with some other groups on one side
3: and uh in cities on the other mm-hmm. you know it's i i mentioned at the beginning of this <clears throat> show that we we'd had slita reynolds on um and i couldn't remember the episode uh I, I went back and found it it's it's episode 111 we recorded it i think in late september of last year and uh it, it was uh it was uh slita reynolds and and um Scott Corwin with Deloitte. Uh, Scott Corwin from Deloitte, and and the the title of it is "Aligning Public and Private Interests Around the Future of Cities and Mobility." And what's really funny is I'm I'm remembering I, I have to go back and listen to it again now, and, and I really encourage probably everyone else to because it's funny because we were talking about this stuff um, without really understanding where this was all going to go. It was like I remember it being a, an interesting, but like it seemed somewhat abstract. And I know Salida at that time had said, Hey, we have these standards now. And like, you know, this was, it was being a focus of it. Um, it's funny though. Cause I, I didn't foresee at that time uh, certainly that, that this would become like as, as huge and, and controversial and, you know, that there would be, you know, yeah political battles over this stuff.
1: So um, anyway, I'm excited to go back and listen to that. And we've actually had her on twice. Yeah. We have. Yeah. We had her also in June of last year, almost a year ago. And it was just Slita and it was episode 87. Yeah. So but I don't think we talked about, about data, no. so much, do we? Yeah. No, no. But um, no, it was, it was, it covered everything. I think we talked about everything from like the boring company to, micromobility. And now I want to go back and of course, listen to both of those things um, because as a result of what's happened in just a year's time. Yeah.
2: And I guess I would just stress again that I think one of the reasons why MDS is so important and why I gave myself voluntary brain damage, trying to understand it. when I wrote that article in Slate is because it's about more, I think this is like a early battle for mobility technologies that are going to continue to arrive. Like MDS was designed to be applicable to autonomous vehicles, for example, and for other kinds of modes that we can't even conceive of yet. And this is sort of like an early skirmish in my mind of, of regulatory power and data analytical rights of cities versus states versus companies that I think is going to continue to be playing out. Um, it's funny. I talked with some car company representatives um, on the sort of lobbying side a few weeks ago, and they were telling me, "Yeah, now it feels like for the next few years, data is become one of our absolute, absolute top priorities, along with electrification." And we did not expect that a year ago,
3: and we don't know what we're talking about yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I think that's a good way to close it, don't you? Yeah.
3: I mean, this, yeah, we could, we could keep going, but, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah, David, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and explaining this, yeah, really complex and, and interesting, uh, subject so, so well. I feel like I, I was in the process of giving myself voluntary brain damage, trying to understand it. And you've definitely like made that process a lot less. Brain damaging, so thank you. <laughs> I,
1: feel- I don't get the term voluntary brain damage. You mean like reading and studying? I
2: mean, I knew this was going to be.
1: You should be smarter. You should be a smarter as a result now, David. I hope
2: so. I hope so. I hope I gained more <laughs> brain cells than I, I I lost by just banging my head. Like, what does this mean? As I'm reading stuff that I didn't understand. Right. That's okay. what I
1: meant. So you were banging your head. up You, you were banging your head against the wall yeah, got it. Okay. okay, it wasn't so much the intake of that. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of it's sort of how I feel sometimes talking to Alex. That's my <laughs> last Alex
3: dig. He's not even here to defend himself. In absentia. Oh. Yeah. Oh.
1: He he's not free to defend himself. But I mean, I spent a whole day with him yesterday and watched him in action, and it was sight to behold. And so, all right. I feel like I need to put in a few digs. So, David. Well,
2: I, nope. Oh, I was just going to say but that's the last point. I just want to thank you guys for inviting me, but particularly focusing on this issue because. You have an audience of so many technologists, and I think that these sorts of issues around mobility data are really where the technology comes full speed smack up against policy. And I really hope that folks who are engineers now in the mobility space are aware of these tensions because they're really important people's lives, and they're important for the future of cities where a lot of us live. So I'm glad that you're tackling this topic, and I hope you continue
1: to do so. Thank you. I have a feeling it's going to keep Keep crop popping up. So thanks for coming on.
3: And and if if people want to sort of follow your own research and and writings um, analysis on this, uh, what's the best place? You're you're on Twitter, right?
2: Yeah, I'm on. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a prolific tweeter, but I do let people know when I get document. Now I get documents sent to me that are not available <laughs> elsewhere. That get kind of leaked around MDS and mobility data. So I put it on Twitter at at David Zipper. And I also post their articles I write from time to time
3: in various publications. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Definitely follow him if if this is interesting to you. Um, and yeah, keep listening to the Autonicast. I'm sure we will continue to discuss this because it uh, is really interesting. And, and I think, David, you're absolutely right. The the It's not only interesting in terms of what's happening right now, but the consequences down the road for all different kinds of mobility uh, opportunities, mobility technology opportunities for cities. Um, is huge because this this really uh gets to the heart of you know who's at the who's at the wheel, right? Is it is it private companies uh, or is it cities? Yeah, well said. So um, with that, we will see you here again on another episode of the Autonicast.